This is Tempest Tossed, Conversations on Migration and Mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikoff. Immigrants tend to be young, intrepid people, risk-takers, ambitious, they're looking for opportunities, and when they come and take them, they revitalize and expand the pie, they expand the economy of the United States. Today's episode will focus on zombie ideas on immigration, that is, false ideas that refuse to die. We got there this way. When President Trump was in Europe in July of this year, he made several comments about how immigration had affected the culture of Europe, affected it in a bad way. As he continued to speak, he added the United States into the mix. Here are a few brief excerpts. I think it's been very bad for Europe. I think uh, Europe is a place I know very well, and I think that uh, what has happened is very tough. I, I just think it's uh, changing the culture. I think it's a very negative thing for uh, Europe. And I know it's politically not necessarily correct to say that, but I'll say it, and I'll say it loud. It's a very sad situation. It's very unfortunate, but I do not think it's good for Europe, and I don't think it's good for our country. So it got me thinking about the misinformation that is regularly repeated about the impact that immigration has on the United States. And that led me to Ruben Rombaut, Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of California, Irvine. Professor Rombaut is a leading expert on immigration to the United States and has devoted decades to empirical research on immigrants and the children of immigrants. Ruben Rombaut and I spoke recently at the Dodge 112 studio in Brooklyn. Ruben, so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you, Alex. Um, you've heard the, uh, the quotes from uh, President Trump about the impact of immigration on culture in uh, Europe and, and his views on immigration in the United States, which are well known for his, his many statements. I want to get to the bigger picture uh, a little later in this conversation, but I want to start with a, an idea that, that, that you've been using, a concept you've been using as you've talked about uh, immigration uh, over the last couple of years. That's the idea of zombie ideas in immigration. What do you mean by zombie ideas in immigration? By zombie ideas, I mean um, ideas that by all rights should be dead, but they keep rising from the dead despite a mountain of evidence to prove otherwise. There are false ideas and stereotypes that endure. What's, and what's an example of that in the immigration area? Well, you mentioned President Trump, but this can go back to colonial times. Uh, the ideas that immigrants bring crime and disease uh, to the United States, that uh, immigrants take jobs away from natives, that immigrants don't assimilate, that they don't learn the English language. Uh, all of those are examples of well, these false so ideas. So let, let's, let's take those one by one. On crime, it is commonly said, and certainly the president has said this, that uh, Mexico is sending criminals uh, to the United States and that that these are dangerous people that all should be sent home. What, what, what are the facts? Well, that, that idea uh, that is a perception of a threat to the security of a community or a country, and hence the idea that they bring crime, is one that goes back to colonial times. Uh, whenever there have been periods um, when large numbers of immigrants who differ in significant ways, like in race and language and so on, from the natives, arrive, they tend to be perceived and stereotyped as threats, as security threats, cultural threats, economic threats. Uh, in the case of crime, 
um, over 100 years ago in the last great mass of European migration, that idea was put to the test by three major government commissions created by the U.S. government. And in each one of them, over three different decades, they had a volume devoted just to crime and immigration. And what they found was, to their astonishment, that immigration was not associated with crime, but on the contrary, that uh, crime was much more likely to be associated with the native-born than with the foreign-born. Um, when you come to the present period, take the last 25 years, which have been the years of the greatest increase uh, in immigration, and especially of undocumented immigration, say from 1990 to, to the present. In that period of time, um, when especially undocumented immigration was rising to historic highs, nationally, the violent crime rate in the United States plummeted to historic lows, and the property crime rate in the United States also uh, fell to near lows. In addition, um, if immigration were associated with crime, you'd expect to fi find higher crime rates in states and localities of greater immigrant concentration. And the findings show exactly the opposite, that the more immigrants there are in a city or in a state, the lower the crime rates. And some of the safest places around are the cities along the U.S.-Mexican border from El Paso to San Diego. And major cities like L.A. and New York that have very large numbers of immigrants have also registered historic lows uh, in crime rates. If you look also at incarceration rates, you find that uh, the native-born are much more likely to be in incarcerated in state prisons and so on for crimes than are the foreign-born. Among the foreign-born, that applies without exception to every single nationality. They have lower rates of incarceration than the native-born. Someone may answer your point that the foreign-born commit crimes at a lower rate than native-born with the statement that, yes, but they're still committing crimes, uh, so we shouldn't have more foreign-born because even if they are uh, less likely to commit crimes, they nonetheless add to the overall number of crimes being uh, committed in the United States. What, what do you say to that? Well, they certainly don't add to the crime rate in the United States. Um, if you were to remove large numbers of immigrants from the United States, thinking that perhaps the few that com do commit a crime will somehow reduce crime in the United States, you're mistaking the nature of the problem. The crime rate will, in fact, increase the more you take immig immigrants out of the country. And that's because you're taking out of the denominator uh, immigrants who are law-abiding and don't commit crimes. And as a result, the native-born who do commit crimes at a higher rate would be more likely to show in the numerator and the shrunk denominator. In addition, um, the fact that, I mean, there's no doubt that human beings are human beings and you have a whole uh, distribution uh, within any given group from the virtuous to the less virtuous. And there will, of course, be immigrants that will commit a crime. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that by getting rid of all immigrants, you're somehow going to help the crime picture in the country. Those same immigrants that bring those crime rates down nationally and statewide and locally and so on, end up settling in dilapidated areas of cities, for example, and revitalizing those communities. And in the process, they bring down violent crime in those communities. And you see that time and time and time again. Uh, so the contribution of immigrants uh, to the crime rate is a positive one across the board. 
You can take one anecdote of one criminal uh, immigrant, for example, just recently, uh, one that shot uh, this young woman, um, uh, Tibbetts, uh, and um, President Trump immediately took that anecdote as a way of tiring all immigrants as being crime prone, uh, etc. It took the father of the murdered girl to have to go uh, publicly to repudiate those kinds of comments and said that his daughter uh, was completely against that kind of hatred and that kind of uh, vile racism that tried to tar with an entire group with one single incident. Um, anecdotal evidence is powerful because it can appeal to fear, it can appeal to emotion. And that's the fundamental nature of zombie ideas. They're not fact-based, they're fear-based. They're emotion-laden. And they can manipulate emotions uh, so that you forget about what the facts are and you react to the emotions. So you mentioned, uh, besides crime, you mentioned uh, the effect on the economy. And it uh, frequently said that immigrants coming into the country, uh, lower wage rates hurt American workers by competing uh, with them. Or if they're not working, they're uh, on welfare rolls and, and getting benefits from American taxpayers. Are those zombie ideas or are those facts? They are absolutely zombie ideas. Um, to begin with the first, uh, the idea that immigrants take jobs away from natives, um, that idea is based on a mistaken perception of the nature of the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is not static, it's not fixed. There's not a zero-sum, uh, say, a pie of jobs, and if an immigrant takes one job, that means that one less there'll be one less job for a native. On the contrary, for every job that immigrants take, more jobs are created. That is the very nature of economic growth. If you don't have immigrants coming into the country, like the United States, for example, where the native-born labor force would shrink, and all the more now as baby boomers are retiring and, and so on, unless you fill those slots with immigrant workers, you're going to end up reducing economic growth and reducing the number of jobs by bringing immigrants who are themselves consumers. When they get a job and they get their paycheck, they go and buy groceries, they buy a car, they, they buy a house, they, they are consumers. And as they consume different items, they are adding extra demand to the economy, which ends up creating more jobs in the areas where they're spending. So those you're, you're speaking money. here at the macro level, and I think, right, that most of the studies show uh, that at the macro level, at the larger level, there is a net benefit of immigration here. But, but isn't it also true that for uh, some American workers where uh, immigrants tend to work, there is competition and there is some impact on wages in those industries? Is that, is that a zombie idea or is that in fact true? Well, that, that latter part is partially true. Um, just in the last couple of years, the National Academy of Sciences commissioned two major volumes that sought to assemble all of what is known about the social integration of immigrants and the economic and fiscal integration and effects of immigration in the United States. That second volume on economic and fiscal consequences shows uh, partly what you're saying. Immigration is a net positive uh, for the U.S. economy overall. It increases jobs, it increases economic growth, uh, it, it, it's, it certainly uh, uh, shores up particular industries that the, uh, of jobs that the native-born don't want to take. 
uh, that are heavily dependent on immigrant labor. It is only among natives with less than a high school education where you see that competitive effect that can bring wages down uh, at that low level. But in general, the only negative contributions to wages uh, that the National Academy of, uh, of Sciences found was a negative effect on some other immigrants and on the native born with less than a high school education. And th even that effect is very small. Is that something we should be concerned about? I think um, the United States should be concerned about a lot of more uh, significant items. Let's begin with something that is fundamental to economic growth and to the economic consequences of immigration, and that's the demography of the country. Without immigration, the United States would have a decreasing population. Uh, the rates of fertility would, are, would be below replacement level if it were not for immigration, uh, just as they are in every single country in Europe, in Japan, in South Korea, and so on. Countries with below replacement level fertility are countries that have a declining size of population. And as a result, they have a declining number of people in the labor market. And as a result of that, they would have a de declining economic growth. The only way to make up, to replenish what is not being replenished by native fertility is through the immigration of young workers. Um, that is what makes the situation of the United States going forward, looking into the future, both in demographic projections and economic projections, uh, much uh, rosier than the projections that we're seeing for these other countries that I mentioned in, in Europe, Japan, and so, and so on. Um, the, it is projected that over the next 40 years, the lion's share of the growth of the labor force of the United States will be filled by immigrant workers. And in fact, the lion's share immigrant of the population- Immigrant workers and their children, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, these are adult yeah. workers. Now, adult workers also have children. And we can then consider the, the effects of the children of immigrants and what are the economic effects of that. Uh, and I've studied that for decades, and I, I mean, I can discuss that uh, separately. But looking just at adult foreign born in the labor force of the United States today and going forward, if it, with baby boomers retiring by 18,000 a day, and that will continue for the next several years, about 10 more years of, of this, um, the native-born labor force is shrinking. It's shrinking because of retirements on the, on the one end, and it's shrinking because of uh, below-replacement fertility on the, on the younger end. Um, immigrants tend to be young, uh, intrepid people, risk-takers, ambitious. They're looking for opportunities. And when they come and take them, they revitalize and expand the pie. They expand the economy of the United States. Because of risk takers, um, it is the case that many more immigrants and, and the larger percentage of immigrants are self-employed entrepreneurs than are the native born. And the self-employed create new jobs by, by dint of creating new businesses. Refugee entrepreneurs have an even uh, higher rate of entrepreneurship than regular immigrant uh, entrepreneurs who in turn have higher rates of self-employment than the native born. All of these are ways in which immigrants and refugees contribute economically to the expansion and economic growth of the United States. It is also uh, fairly frequently uh, stated or believed that uh, immigrants coming to the country, particularly from Mexico or other Latin American countries speaking Spanish, uh, don't learn English, uh, don't do well in school, have higher dropout rates, 
uh, and ultimately are a, a, a drag on uh, the country and their neighborhoods. Have a, is that another zombie idea? Oh, that's a, a doozy of a zombie idea. In fact, uh, that idea goes back to Benjamin Franklin in 1751, 25 years before he signed the Declaration of Independence. He was saying the same thing about Germans in Philadelphia, that they were going to Germanize them instead of us anglifying uh, them uh, and so on. That uh, perception of cultural threat, that the, the, the foreigners are not going to learn our customs, our language, our ways, our culture, has been as perennial as anything else in the American experience. Um, but it is simply false. The fact of the matter is that more than any other country in the world, the United States has a dubious reputation for being a language graveyard. This is a country to which languages come to die. Um, the United, ironically, the United States has absorbed more multilingual people than any other country in the world, and yet in no other country has a switch to monolingual English occurred as rapidly as it has in the United States. The general pattern uh, of 100 years ago remains the same as today. The adult first-generation immigrants learn uh, to speak English with an accent or survival English. Their children, the second generation, um, learn English without an accent. Uh, they come to prefer it. Uh, and to use it much more proficiently, much more quickly than they do the language of their parents. And by the third generation, the generation of the grandchildren, in three-generation households, you have uh, situations where the grandparents cannot speak with the grandchildren because they are speaking different languages. Um, our data show, and, the, and by our data, I mean research that I have done for since the 1980s, systematically, nationally and regionally and locally, shows that... Um, Language learning is a function of age at arrival. The younger the person is at arrival, the more quickly uh, they learn English and, and learn it without an accent. In fact, if they, are, if they arrive before puberty, they will learn it without an accent. And the younger they are, it is just astonishing how quickly, almost as if by osmosis, a child can pick up a new language. It's much more difficult for an adult. And the older the adult, uh, the more difficult it is to learn the language without an accent. But they, they learn it. Uh, I mean, English uh, is um, the language uh, of the United States and a universal language in the world. And you might even make the case that English is the de facto language of the Milky Way galaxy at this point. Um, the idea that immigrants somehow pose a threat to English is laughable. Um, Immigrants come having no illusions about the fact that getting ahead in the United States means also learning English, especially for their children. What about educational performance? What are the facts on that? Education is a fascinating uh, area when it comes to immigration. The most highly educated people in the United States are immigrants. The least educated people in the United States are also immigrants. Now, their children uh, will attend uh, American schools. Um, Often, especially those who were young, uh, born uh, abroad, and, and they came here young, may have problems with English in the first couple of years of, of school, but they catch up very quickly language-wise. By the time they're in secondary schools, uh, we have been doing a study of children of immigrants uh, uh, for the past 25 years, and I have also done studies of all children enrolled in entire unified school districts, for example, the San Diego Unified du School District or the Miami-Dade uh, uh, Unified School District. And we find that uh, the GPAs 
of the children of immigrants and of immigrant children are higher than the GPAs of native-born children, of native parentage children. Also, dropout rates are much lower for children of immigrants than they are for children of natives. Um, this continues uh, when you get to higher ed uh, as well. Uh, so it's, um, although you still find significant differences between those who go on to get doctoral degrees and other advanced degrees, uh, Overall, if you, if you include the adult immigrants at arrival with everyone else, the foreign-born and the native-born have about the same level of um, educational attainment as far as bachelor's degrees or higher are concerned. However, immigrants have a much higher rate of people who have less than a high school education. Uh, and those tend to be adults who come as laborers, often undocumented, from countries like Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, who tend to be young young men um, who come without having finished uh, secondary schooling in their countries of origin. So let me understand, you're saying that uh, immigrants may be uh, lower on the socioeconomic uh, status uh, data, but will still in the end have the same rates of college graduation as native-born. Oh, in many cases, Im the children of immigrants, not so much the immigrants, Although, again, if you look at immigrants as first-generation adults at arrival, you have immigrants that come from places like India and Taiwan and Nigeria that have much higher levels of educational attainment than the, the average for the United States. Um, if you look at the children of the immigrants, uh, whether born in the United States or arrived here at, at, a, at an early age, um, you will see um, in th that second generation uh, those children of immigrants surpassing the educational attainment of the children of native-born parents. Um, that tends to plateau after, after the second generation. So by the time you get to the third generation, it begins to, be, uh, to look more and more like the norm for American society as a whole. But in the first generation, there's no doubt, especially among children of less educated immigrant parents, of very significant uh, upward mobility, educational upward mobility among those children. The children of those who come with PhDs and so on, well, there's no way they can surpass uh, their parents educationally. So you, at, at best, you'll see those children almost matching the, the, the level of education of those very highly skilled professional parents. Uh, President Trump's statement that we opened with here was, was that seemed to say that immigrants uh, adversely changed the culture of the United States. The arguments you've been making about educational attainment and learning English seem to be uh, an assimilatory, uh, an assimilationist story. They, but but he's making a, a, a comment about cultural change. What's your response to that? Well, when he talks about culture in broad terms, he never defines what he means by culture. What part of American culture is being adversely affected by immigrants? If you break it down and you look at every conceivable segment of American culture, if you look at art, if you look at music, if you look at academia, if you look at science, if you look at the scientific uh, contributions, if you look at Nobel Prizes, in the, in not last year, but the two years before that, six, uh, the United States won six Nobel Prizes in each year, and all of them were won by immigrants residing in the United States. Immigrants contribute... Uh, their creativity in all kinds of ways, to literature, for example, the 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 novels and the memoirs and and uh, the the books that are written 
typically by what I long ago called the one and a half generation of children who have been born in another country but came as children to the United States. They tend to be the most bilingual, the most fluent in both the language of, of the uh, country of origin and, and of English, the most playful uh, and creative with, the, with words, uh, and they have produced uh, and made tremendous contributions to American literature. Uh, Ruben, you're, you're painting a very rosy picture here that immigrants are more entrepreneurial, they, uh, they win Nobel Prizes, they all learn English, they commit uh, fewer crimes. There, there are no downsides here to, to immigration that we should be concerned about, that social policy should be addressing? Oh, no, no not at all. Um, I began looking at those uh, examples because uh, we began this conversation talking about zombie ideas that deserved uh, to die but refused to die despite the evidence that can be marshaled against it. And I was producing some examples of the evidence that can be marshaled against that. Um, immigration in the United States, immigration in any country in the world, needs to be looked at very seriously for all of its multiple consequences. Um, and among those consequences is how immigration affects um, social conflict in the United States, politics in the United States, what is the backlash or the reaction of natives to immigrants that come at different times for different reasons. Um, and you have to look uh, very seriously at, uh, at that as also a consequence. It is not a consequence that is brought by the immigrants themselves as such. It is rather a consequence of the relationship between the encounter of immigrants and natives. On the one hand, immigrants are absolutely needed for demographic and economic reasons, as I've tried to, to spell out. Um, in addition, immigrants do not pose a threat to the language of the, of the society, to the culture in that sense of, of the society. But on the other hand, uh, just look at what's been going on in the current period. Uh, the level of divisiveness, the level of um, scapegoating and stereotyping of immigrants that has caused uh, breaches among Americans, uh, even within the same families uh, of people. Uh, it's something, it's a, it's a level of discord and division that I haven't seen since the time of the Vietnam War. Um, and a lot of that is, has to do with the way in which moral panics have been spread and, about immigrants. In, uh, by the way immigrants have been scapegoated and by the reactions of natives to that and by the way that then shapes uh, immigration policy and other policies in the United States. It militarizes the border. It, it affects the, the way people end up perceiving of immigrants. Um, and it's going to take, uh, it's gonna take very a very significant change to turn this around. But, 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 and I consider that an adverse yeah, consequence so, of this. So, um, on, but by calling these ideas zombie ideas, ideas that won't die, it sounds like they, in fact, are impervious to the facts. Uh, you and, men, and others have talked about uh, the facts you've described in the last few minutes here. Uh, but, but these are zombie ideas. They, they keep, keep coming back. Um, how, how do you beat a zombie idea? Well, like in the zombie movies, uh, you have to keep trying uh, until you kill the zombie idea for good, uh, or at least for the next long while. Um, zombie ideas cannot be debated with simply with facts. They have to be defeated, and they have to be defeated politically uh, in the most uh, 
important first sense. You cannot defeat it by having uh, an op-ed in the New York Times or by writing a book or by saying, oh, look, uh, the crime rates are the opposite of what President Trump says. President Trump says that murder rates increased 47% in the country when, in fact, they had decreased by 50% and to the lowest level in 50 years. Um, you can debate that. You can put that in a news program, but that's not going to uh, affect a zombie idea that is fact-free but fear-based. So you have to mobilize against it. You have to organize against it politically. You have to vote. You have to use the ballot for that. You have to make your ideas count. You have to persist and persist and persist. Not by coming up with zombie ideas of your own to hurl at the, at the opponent, but, but to persist in the commitment and the belief that truth and fact will win the day. Do you think that some, will find a way to defeat the zombie do, idea. Do you think that some advocates for immigrants are creating their own kind of zombie ideas that are not helpful to the, the discussion? What is not helpful to the discussion is when you start trying to demonize the other side because of their zombie ideas. And you dismiss them, you don't hear them, you, you refuse to um, enter into a conversation with them. At that point, a wall emerges, a real wall, not the wall that they're talking about at the, at the Mexican border, but a real wall between entire segments of American society. You cannot defeat zombie ideas with walls between large segments of the society. You have to en engage them in conversation. You have to listen to their fears and then try to ameliorate those fears. Um, there's a lot of evidence that you can bring to bear on the, as far as the fears about crime and about language and so on. Um, but I think it is possible to reach a point where you can restore that kind of civil conversation again and get to a point where a policies based on, f on commonly shared facts, on commonly shared truth, you may have different political interests or different political values, but at least we can agree on facts. If we get to that point, I think you can ultimately defeat a zombie idea. It doesn't mean that one political party is going to win over another political party. It means that we're going to restore civil society to a place that it's not at at this moment. But now, now, I'm, now I'm a little confused because I thought you said the definition of a zombie idea is one that is impervious to facts, that it can't be changed. Um, so how do you get to the point where you can have that kind of civil discussion and someone can say, oh, I guess I was wrong about crime rate. How, how do we ever get there? I thought the argument you were making was one of politics, that we simply have to vote those folks out of office, uh, not that we're going to do this through civil discourse. Zombie ideas uh, don't exist in a vacuum. They don't just float around and every once in a while they reappear. Um, zombie ideas are products of concrete historical moments and concrete his historical moments in which those kinds of ideas are appropriated by demagogues, essentially, and amplified by mass media to create a moral panic. Um, and at that point, it, it is in that fertile ground that zombie ideas can grow. Uh, so it's not that you're trying to defeat the idea per se, 
you're trying rather to deal with the grounds, the fertile grounds that lead to the creation of opportunities for demagogues and others to spread these kinds of um, moral panics by scapegoating immigrants and the like. That is a, in the playbook of, of uh, demagogues going back a long time. It is not different in now. Uh, but I'm not trying to say that zombie ideas somehow exist independently of human will and intention or independently of human history. They're products of it and they need to be engaged as such. So let, let me end with this. Um, are, are you hopeful about the future uh, on issues of immigration? Is this just one of those explosions of anti-immigrant uh, feelings that seems to come to the United States every uh, generation or two and this will pass? Or do you think we're at a point that is really quite dangerous and continue to spiral down for, for some time? Well, I was born in another country, and uh, one typical characteristic of immigrants is that they're hopeful, uh, they're ambitious. You have to be hopeful and you have to be ambitious if you leave your country behind, your language behind, and everything behind to start from scratch, or as my father once put it, from below scratch, which is how he felt uh, that we, where we started from. So you, you, I begin with that kind of hope, but I'm also a sober observer of American history and of immigration history across um, uh, all of these uh, 200 plus years of, of, of experiences with immigrants. Uh, and as you say, it is the case that there are very significant instances in which these kinds of uh, almost near pogroms, whether it's against the Irish, uh, with the know-nothings, the, the Chinese exclusion, against so many others along the way, the Mexican repatriation of the 1930s and what is going on today. Um, so yes, this current period uh, has many characteristics that are alike to some of the worst periods in, I can count in one hand, uh, the time, the, the worst kinds of instances um, of uh, anti-immigrant uh, mobilization and so on in American history that we are seeing at this moment. I think the present era will go down as one of the most shameful in American history and in American immigration history. But at the same time, I'm quite confident and I'm quite hopeful that it will end, that this too shall pass and that it shall pass sooner than we think. Um, I do so because I can read the demographic tea leaves. I can read what the projections are for economic growth, for demographic growth, and so on. I do so because I live in a state, California, um, that I think provides the ultimate uh, example of what to be hopeful about. No other state, not even close, has absorb more immigrants than has California in the last uh, 30, 40 years. It has been transformed by immigration. Uh, virtually every city, every part of California has been transformed. Has California been um, ruled by crime waves that these immigrants bring, these refugees from Laos and Cambodia, from Mexico, from Cuba, etc.? Has uh, the economic situation of Californians uh, gone in the tank? Um, does no one speak English anymore in California? On the contrary, California is now the fifth largest economy in the world, if it were a separate country. California has the lowest rates of violent crime and property crime just about in its history. 
exactly the opposite that you would expect. And as for acculturating to American ways and uh, eating kosher burritos in Los Angeles uh, and listening to mariachis, music on the radio, uh, that is being done by English-speaking, without an accent, new Californians and uh, the children of immigrants um, that have contributed mightily uh, to, to California and to the miracle that California has become. Um, in, uh, in the last uh, 20 years or so, California has made a, a quite significant turnaround, and that's despite the fact that, that, that more than half of the entire population of 40 million Californians are either immigrants or their children. Ruben from Bouts, thank you so much for being with us. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Alex. You have been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Technical assistance is provided by Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112. Our themes were composed by Eli Elenikoff. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. You can reach us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That is tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.